I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Blue Wire. So I think what we'll do is uh, we'll just like get into the outline. We'll start with Jordan. We'll talk about him for a while. Am I alone? <laughs> Greg, I was just talking to myself for so long. See, I don't know what happened. It just kicked me out of the meeting. <laughs> That's okay. I kept going. Hey. Wee wee bum bum. Hang on a second. I'm gonna, I'll call you back. I'm recording a podcast. No, That's I'm, your boyfriend's? I'm not, no. I'm not crying. I'm laughing. I'll call you back. <laughs> this We're keeping that. Hello and welcome to Unsalvageable, a Utah Jazz podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network with me, Sarah Todd, Utah Jazz beat reporter for the Deseret News, and as always, my co-host, Greg Foster. We're going to talk about everything that's going on with the jazz, but later on in the episode, you're going to hear from Keith Parrish, who's the host at Fast Break Breakfast, and a Memphis Grizzlies fan, a very amazing podcaster, a part of the Blue Wire family also, and we're really excited to have had a conversation with him and share that with you guys first, before we get to that. Greg, your boys. Let's talk about it. Boys. Let's talk about it. All right, we got, well, there are two two matters of business that must be addressed first and foremost. First, game one, it's over. It's in the rear view. We are eternal optimists. We look forward. We don't look back. We learn from our mistakes. It's done. Shut up. It's over. Number two, the most important. That was the amuse-bouche. That's the appetizer. That's the accoutrement. <laughs> That's the bread. And now the entree, the porterhouse steak, the filet, the ribeye. Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, my sweet, sweet boys, my beautiful boys, the most beautiful boy. I'm going on record now and saying it. This has solidified it. That sweet boy has surpassed the most interesting man in the world in Boris DL. Jordan Clarkson, your sixth man of the year and officially the coolest player to ever don a Utah Jazz uniform. You're so proud. I am I am beaming. I love how happy you are. I, I've got the Grinch smile. That's a movie. No, it's also a book. <laughs> I'm so pleased for Jordan Clarkson as well, because not only is he a cool dude, the coolest jazz man to ever wear the, the coolest. uniform. He's a great guy. He's so much fun. He's one of the realest dudes I've ever covered in the NBA. He works so hard. He cares so much. And I'm very happy for him. He absolutely deserved it. I'm happy for you. You couldn't be more proud right now. I know we just talked about not looking, not looking back, but I do feel like in this situation, we need to kind of rewind the tape and kind of recap Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson came in the league as kind of a question mark. 
you know, oh, he's this athletic kind of one-two combo guard. He can get buckets. But it just seemed like both on the Lakers and the Cavaliers, it was kind of just a square peg in a round hole. And I think sometimes it takes guys a minute to really find themselves. Playing on a team in a relationship is a lot, it's, it's a lot like a marriage and it has to work and there are a lot of intangibles. And I just never thought it worked for him. And while I was very excited, when the trade happened, the trade ended up exceeding my wildest expectations. It took him, what, two games to come in and just be an automatic factor off the bench? He needed no time to adjust. Perfect situation, a huge feather in the cap in Quinn Snyder, instilling confidence in him that he has never had throughout his career and just saying like, listen, guy, go out and do you. That's what we got you for. And he's, he's stepped on the court from the moment he got in Salt Lake City and has just thrived. And this is kind of the, the culmination of all that. All of that work, the struggles early on in his career. And it couldn't, I don't think it could go to a more deserving guy. He's been fabulous all season. He's won the Jazz games. He's been the cornerstone of a very good bench unit. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a proud papa. Just, I just love the boy. <laughs> I agree with everything that you said. I think it's really impressive where he came from. And, you know, we talked to him a little bit yesterday after he won the award about accepting that role. And he talked about, you know, starting 79 games in the 2015-16 season for the Lakers. And then Luke Mm -hmm. Walton comes in and benches him. And, you know, outwardly to everyone, he was like, I'll do whatever it takes for the team. But inwardly, you know, that's a version of Jordan Clarkson that the jazz fans don't know is that his confidence was broken and that he was questioning everything about what he was doing. He was like, this guy doesn't think that I'm good enough. I'm going to have to prove him wrong. Like everything has changed. What's happening. Am I going to be able to secure the bag and keep my family afloat? Like, you know, you, you get benched on a team like the Lakers and you know, eventually that they're going to rise to stardom again. And then you start wondering, am I ever going to, make it into a regular rotate like there everything is questioned at that point and then you go to cleveland and while you're on a lebron team you're just a note you're just yeah you're not that guy no you're not that guy and no one's thinking about you as like that main punch off the bench and for him to come here for him to have started in cleveland revolutionizing his game and changing it and manipulating the way that he takes shots and for that to continue even further when he got to utah and just the openness that he's felt with this team quinn snyder the jazz coaching staff everyone on the team deserves a lot of credit for making a guy like jordan clarkson feel like he can be 100 himself and because he's the guy that needs that he needs to mm-hmm. feel like he can be him and he absolutely does that's why he resigned. he wanted to stay here uh, he's so deserving and the presentation of the trophy was was absolutely scorsese-esque scorsese it was it was beautiful i'm and this brings up something good i've been waiting to to bring this up on the pod we got an email at unsalvageablepod at gmail.com you can email us there anytime you guys have questions john ray wrote in and said speaking of unsalvageable as a jazz fan should i be concerned about joe winning six men over the year over jordan clarkson and causing locker room drama or ruining team chemistry It really feels like Clarkson wants the award more than Joe and was incentivized to go out and get it. Well, John, number one, you don't have to worry about that at all because Jordan Clarkson won the award. But if it had gone the other way, Jordan is so happy on this team. 
for him to have been battling in in the sixth man running with Joe Ingles, I think that very easily we could have seen the same presentation on inside the NBA on TNT with Jordan handing the trophy to Joe. I think that we could have seen the exact same thing and that everyone would have been just as happy. But what we got was Joe Ingles handing the trophy to Jordan Clarkson. It was so beautiful. The face, what happened was that Ernie Johnson, host of Inside the NBA, was doing sort of like a little quiz. And Mm -hmm. the last question was, how many Utah Jazz players have ever won the Sixth Man Award? And Jordan says, zero. And then Joe says, one. And Jordan's face is like, man, I know that I I know that I'm right. What are you talking about? And then Ernie says, well, who was that? And then Joe points at Jordan. Somebody brings over the trophy and starts and Joe takes it and starts to hand it to Jordan. And he just can't say anything but no over and over again. No, man. (laughs) No, No, man. man." He's just being he's smiling. I just it's a goosebumps moment it was it was amazing and just even kind of delving further into that question I think it's it's pretty apparent how close Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson are they're they're BFFs on that team like those two legitimately love each other you know there was that quote about uh how Ingles and Clarkson are gonna open a an Australian brewery oh I've got the I've got the quote here he says uh, he was talking about how he's incredibly close with Joe Ingles. He says he's one of my closest teammates ever. You know, he sits across from me on the plane. We hang out. We drink beers together. We should come out with a beer company soon with how many beers we drink on off days. And then he goes on to talk about how he's been a role model for Clarkson because in his career, you know, he's been a starter and he's accepted a role off the bench. And it's just another example that Clarkson has gotten throughout his career that this is not a diminished role. It should be a point of pride. And it's just, it's really incredible to me too. Uh, I know we've talked all about the career arc of Jordan Clarkson, but the career arc of Joe Ingles as well. Like This guy was cut by the Clippers, had no idea if he was actually going to make it in the league, was kind of signed by the jazz to be kind of a de facto mentor for Dante Exum and then polishes his game continues to get better becomes an awesome defender you know he really in my opinion made a big name for himself in that Clippers series where the jazz won in seven because he shut JJ Redick down you know and then that legacy was cemented even further with his his defense and play against the Thunders, especially Paul George. And now he's a sixth man of the year candidate. Like that's a Disney movie, man. That's awesome. And to have both those guys on, on the same team, we're lucky. There's also something to be said about the fact that, you know, all of those things that you said, this really great narrative arc of Joe Ingles career. And then mm-hmm. for it to come here where he has taken a bench role He's having the best year of his career. He's the, it's the most efficient he's ever played. And, and that's coming in a season where at the beginning of the season, there were many people who wondered, is he going to be here by the trade deadline? Is this the, he's winding down. Can he really keep it up anymore? Yeah. I was, I was wondering like, is this dude going to be sipping beers in Brisbane <laughs> at the end of at the end of the season? Cause he, he came out, he looked awful in the first few games of the season and completely reinvented his his game. He completely reinvented his role. Again, like another huge accomplishment of Quinn was reinstilling that confidence. 
handing him the, the, the keys to the second unit offense. And just, he's just thrives. Like he's having one of, you talked about it, but he really is having one of the most efficient offensive seasons in the history of the NBA. And that cannot be understated. Yeah. So congratulations to Jordan Clarkson, coolest man ever to wear the jazz uniform. One of the, the, the best vibes I've ever seen. And congratulations to Joe Ingles for being just the consummate teammate and for making that moment, I think, even more special for Jordan. Yeah. And congratulations to me. Congratulations for, having, to for raising, you know, beautiful boys and being a great dad. But also congratulations to me because I have a new offseason goal. Yeah. And that is. And that is I'm going to be shotgunning bears with Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson. I need contact information just once. No comment. <laughs> I don't have journalistic integrity because I don't need journalistic integrity. I'm going to keep you as far away from Jordan Clarkson as, as, as humanly possible. Not like Peppy the Pew or some shit. Yeah, well, you say that now. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. <laughs> so now that we've covered Jordan Clarkson and all the love that everybody has for him, Let's get into uh, the special segment that we have today. Let's get into our conversation with Keith Parrish from Fast Break Breakfast and talk about this series with the Memphis Grizzlies. I hope you guys enjoy this and stick around after because we'll come back and wrap things up. I'm here right now with Sarah Todd and Greg Foster of the Utah Jazz Podcast, the unsalvageable podcast uh, how are you guys doing sarah how are you i'm uh, doing great i uh, maybe looking forward to a little bit more of a competitive game uh, even though those last few minutes of that but the series is going to be fun it was a competitive game come on now uh greg how are you doing i'm still riding a high off last night like that was such a heartwarming experience to watch joe ingles present jordan clarkson with the sixth man of the year trophy like oh yeah that's the wholesome content that i'm looking for those are my boys. I love them. Uh, I've, I've explained a lot on our podcast that I am a father of one that I fathered uh, for sure. But I have a, a huge extended family of adopted children, most of which play for the Utah Jazz. So to see my, my boys win awards and have one boy presented to the other just, just warms my heart and makes that me feel like a proud dad and that I'm doing something right. And that was the palate cleanser you needed after the disappointment of, of Sunday. It was exactly what I needed. Yes, it was the it was the ginger slice after a terrible sushi roll. I mean, you got to you got to give the Grizzlies some credit for being able to defeat such a monstrous team with multiple sixth men of the year, uh, the, pres the the presumptive defensive player of the year, couple of all stars. Um, I will say, as I as I like to needle you guys, what are your impressions after that kind of surprising first loss? I mean, my impressions, first of all, are that the Jazz played right into the hand of the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think that's what I'm talking about, where I, I wish that it was a little bit more competitive because it felt like the Jazz just 
they were just doing everything that the Grizzlies wanted them to do through the most part of that game. And then it kind of got good at the, at the tail end of the fourth quarter there. But I mean, it's no secret that the Grizzlies are the best team in the league at turning people over, stealing the ball, getting out in transition. And the jazz were just like, okay, well then we'll give you the ball and just like, let you run. (laughs) That's an interesting perspective from the Grizzlies angle. I didn't feel like that the jazz were necessarily playing into the hands of the Grizzlies. From my perspective, I felt like the Grizzlies actually were kind of on defense, screwing up a lot of switches. They weren't very connected. They were giving up a lot of open looks. There were several that were very contested and the jazz obviously did not make many of their three pointers. But from my perspective, I was nervous because in the first half, at least while the Grizzlies weren't scoring, my bigger concern was we're letting them get looks they're just missing them. So like that was something that, that, that really worried me. Greg, what, what were you, did you feel the same way that like, maybe the jazz kind of played into the Grizzlies hands? Yeah, I did. In fact, uh, Ben Anderson, who covers the jazz for KSL here in Salt Lake city had a great article yesterday where he actually pointed out that the jazz had something like 20 wide open looks from three point land. I felt so. so. I think, <laughs> I think like the game plan was, was there. Uh, the execution was not. They got okay. the looks that they wanted. They just missed. The Jazz had the second, their second worst shooting night of the season in game one. And a, a couple other things that I gleaned from the game is the Jazz have this really terrible habit of playing with their food. Uh-huh. They they tend to let off the gas, especially the bench unit. It's been a very good unit this season, you know, and the Jazz have incredible plus minus numbers blah, blah, blah. But they just, it, it's as if, I don't want to say they don't have the killer instinct because they killed teams this year, but they just get this bad habit of kind of getting lackadaisical. And you saw it in the second quarter, the jazz were up 14 and they were cruising. And then the turnovers started mounting even more. They weren't matching the or the, the Grizzlies intensity, and especially Dylan Brooks, who is a dog. You saw there was that one play where uh, he got that offensive rebound and that put back and that he's screaming at the crowd like and the jazz kind of just got hit in the face and then didn't react. I, I use the analogy that uh, on our recap pod that the jazz hit the Grizz with the one two combo and then didn't throw the knockout punch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like what happened with Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury in that first fight. You get the knockdown, but then you let him get up. And, and start wailing on you. And, you know, that's what lost them the game. I don't normally lean too much into like the fight analogy or even the idea. It's like a sports talk radio idea of like Dylan Brooks challenged someone to stop him. But I, I do agree. Like I, I felt that as a Grizzlies fan, like Dylan Brooks was basically looking every jazz player in the face being like, are you going to stop me? Nope. Turns out you're not going to stop me. And everyone in the jazz was like, yeah, I'd prefer not to stop this guy. Um, Can someone else try to stop him? So like, who do you guys think maybe in game two, like Sarah, if Dylan Brooks does this again, and he's, I mean, spoiler, he's not going to do it again um, from a lifetime of Dylan Brooks experience. I mean, I mean, I will say, I think he's averaging 24 points per game over the last Grizzlies last seven games, counting the end of the regular season and then the play in and then the first playoff game. So he's unbelievably hot on offense right now. But like, who do you guys think, like Sarah, who do you think is going to step up and maybe take the challenge in game two and say, you know what, Dylan Brooks is not going to punk us again? I think the biggest thing is that according to Donovan Mitchell himself, he is absolutely playing in game two. And so Mm -hmm. that's going to add another wrinkle to the series. And Donovan Mitchell and Dylan Brooks have had their battles before. And 
it's no secret. I mean, in, as far as jazz fandom is concerned, that Donovan Mitchell loves when he's got someone coming after him and maybe talking some trash and he fuels himself off of that energy. And I think that it, there is a chance actually that Dylan Brooks could do that again, because if they just decide to go like one-on-one and start having a battle between themselves within the game, that it's possible that they, they both go off. But I do think that I mean, Donovan Mitchell is definitely the one the, the one to watch since he didn't play in game one and was so frustrated about it. I would also, I think, you know, in that game, Dylan Brooks got a lot of easy looks in the paint and kind of right around the mid-range area. I have a hard time believing that Rudy Gobert is going to foul out in back-to-back games. And when you have the presumptive three-time defensive player of the year on your team, he's going to dictate what's going on you know, and I don't think the Jazz are going to play as much drop coverage as they did in the first game. We saw like Jaw and Dylan hit a lot of like little floaters and runners in the lane and little jumpers. And like when you've got Rudy Gobert in the paint, he tends to take that kind of stuff away. Yeah, I, I feel like one of the big adjustments that the Jazz can make is may actually just trying to protect the paint a lot more and force the Grizzlies to make wide open three pointers. The Grizzlies are terrible at making wide open three pointers. A big shock of the Grizzlies winning game one is they did it. I think with seven made three pointers, which is not the formula you would assume for success for the Grizzlies to be able to beat the jazz going back to Donovan Mitchell. I do want to get your guys, I guess, reporting on what's going on with Donovan Mitchell and what happened in game one. It felt like, I think from a lot of people's perspective that the jazz thought they could win without Donovan Mitchell and kind of got a little bit cute. And we're like, all right, let's, let's, we have two days off after the game. Let's hold Donovan Mitchell out. And then it maybe blows up in their face and they lose. But Donovan Mitchell said he was fine to play and he's mad. So what is the official story? Is that what happened or was it truly he, he couldn't go? Yeah, I think that gamesmanship is completely out of the wind. Like that's that's not the case here. That is not what happened. Okay. Donovan Mitchell, the morning shoot around on game day, he told he told all of us, you know, I'm ready to go. And he felt good after that morning, after three days of practice leading up to it. And about 3 p.m. mountain time is when the news came out that he wasn't going to be playing that night. And he was, he was livid. I mean, he was posting on Instagram, Jay-Z's politics under pressure and, um, or politics as usual. And he was very nonplussed. <laughs> and the, what the jazz told us was that after the morning shoot around that the team medical staff and trainers decided that they weren't happy with his progress and they didn't feel comfortable playing him there's clearly some missing piece of information that we don't have because he wasn't on an injury report for multiple days leading up to that. And then yesterday, um, Monday, the jazz after practice just magically cleared him for a game that was two days away. They said he's playing a game too. Right. right. And so, you know, obviously his voice has a lot of weight and he, he was, he was pissed off. He was not happy that he wasn't playing a game one. And, you know, if you're, trying to look at it as gamesmanship, you would think that the jazz had like all talked about it and they wouldn't have pulled the rug out of their own team's feet. And I mean, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, Bojan Bogdanovic, all of them said after the game, yeah, we were surprised. We woke up from our afternoon naps to find out he wasn't playing and all week they thought he was playing. So there, there is a missing piece of information that we don't have, but Donovan has got his way and he'll, he'll be playing on Wednesday. 
So with the return of Donovan, uh, again, the Jazz will be eight and a half point favorites on Wednesday night. What what do you guys think are the keys to this game for the Jazz to be able to, to level the series? I mean, obviously Memphis is going to have a counter to the Jazz generating all of those open looks. And so the Jazz are going to have to find a way to continue to generate those and use the switches in an optimal way so that they can still get those open looks. Cause I don't think that anyone's expecting the jazz to shoot 25% from three, two times in a row. And so if they can get the open looks they want and actually shoot a decent percentage, I don't think that they'd be too worried, but also they've just got to execute better. They got to hang on to the ball and, and not let Memphis get out and run. I think they also need to not only match the Grizzlies intensity, they need to go a level beyond. I think they need to do what they did in the uh, first quarter and a half and take the game to Memphis. They need to be the aggressor and they can't wait and they can't, you know, they can't play with their food. So what do you think might be the key matchups? Like Greg, who who are you looking for the most in this game? Is it just Donovan Mitchell coming back? Is it a a more consistent game from Mike Conley? Is it depending on Bojan again? Like what do you think might be the key matchup in this game? What I want to see is, A, I want to see Rudy Gobert stay on the floor. Sure. That's the biggest thing. He is the Jazz's best player. Unquestionably, he's going to be all NBA. He's going to be the defensive player of the year. When you have the best player on your team missing large chunks of the game because you're in foul trouble, that's going to usually be a recipe for disaster. Uh, Another thing is I'm really interested to see how Donovan comes back from an ankle injury. We know that those are both physical and mental injuries. I want to see if he's going to be aggressive and put pressure on Dylan Brooks, who's obviously going to be guarding him. We know that he's foul prone. Is he going to get in the paint or is he going to settle for for mid-range jumpers like we saw early in his career? Uh, I want to see Mike Conley hold on to the ball. There were a couple of really defining plays in the game where Mike Conley, instead of doing his search dribble, which he's so good at, he just drove right into the lane and then kicked it out to like straight. One was straight to Dylan Brooks. The other one was straight to Kyle Anderson. And I want to see Boyan as aggressive as he was in the second half. He had 29 points in the second half, cooked the Grizzlies. They did not have an answer for him. But we need to see that because he didn't have a single point in the first half. And you can't have him being tentative. He turned the ball over in clusters. So it was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of situation with that. We need second half bogey if we're going to win this game. The thing I'm most nervous about as a Grizzlies fan is, or the thing I'm I'm looking forward to the most is how does Donovan Mitchell reassimilate himself and how much does he continue trusting his teammates? Part of me hopes as a biased fan that he feels like he has to take this upon himself and go one-on-one against Dylan Brooks and make that a matchup. What I'm more nervous about as a Grizzlies fan is if he plays within himself and he plays team basketball and recognizes, Hey, if Dylan Brooks is focusing on me, we're going to have a great matchup with Mike Conley against John Morant, who's a negative defender. We're going to have a good chance. Like Boyan Bogdanovich has had it going on, uh, you know, all regular season while Conley, while uh, Mitchell was out. And so if Mitchell reassimilates by finding his teammates and then focusing on the fact that the jazz have way more, way more offensive weapons than the Grizzlies have defenders. That's what terrifies me. I'd actually prefer if Mitchell says, I got to take this guy out by myself. 
Yeah, I think exactly what you're saying is exactly what the jazz coaching staff is probably thinking. Sure. They'd really love it if if he would go in and just play within the scheme and within the offense. And that's honestly the smartest thing to do, especially when you're coming back from an injury like an angel. You don't want to be too explosive and then possibly re-aggravate an ankle sprain. And that could, that's absolutely a possibility if you are going, you know, toe-to-toe and one-on-one and trying to get the first step on a guy like Dylan Brooks, who's an excellent defender. But I think... And, in there, and there's a chance that one or both of those things could happen within this game too, because, you know, like I said before, Donovan Mitchell really feeds off of those matchups and off of that intensity. So he could want to take it one-on-one. The smart thing to do would be to sort of lure Dylan Brooks into that a little bit and then for him to become more of a facilitator. That's obviously a fear, I think, of all Grizzlies fans, not just that Donovan Mitchell becomes the facilitator and just uses his skills maybe in a not conservative, but just the the most, I guess, judicious sense where he's attacking when he has the opportunity or the upper hand. But the flip side of that is Dylan Brooks, who was a hero in game one, and he's been a hero in the past couple of weeks. If he locks into full-scale hero ball, that's been a recipe for disaster for the Grizzlies in the past, and we hope he's beyond that. But my big concerns as a Grizzlies fan, it's that that maybe Dylan tries to do too much. And then you still have the issue with the Grizzlies bench. It was a strength all season. It was a strength last season. Somehow the Grizzlies have won these two play-in games and then the first game of the playoffs with their bench giving them absolutely nothing. They got pulverized in this game. Uh, I mean, in this series in game one. And I think as a from the Grizzlies angle, I hope they make some form of adjustment. I don't think they can put four bench players on the court at the same time, especially with the jazz, the way they stagger Gobert and they come back in with like Conley and Gobert against the second unit. I just, I think that's a recipe for disaster for the Grizzlies. And, and I'm nervous. I, I guess part of us as Grizzlies fans, we're optimistic. Surely the bench can't be this terrible for so many games in a row. Like at, at some point they might start playing good together, but uh, I, I'm very nervous about that matchup overall. And, you know, that's actually one of the things that the Jazz are going to have in their corner is that when Donovan Mitchell comes back, that sends Joe Ingles back and he's able to run that bench unit. He's got a lot of chemistry with Derek Favors. They work really well in the pick and roll together. And so there's a trickle down effect of having Donovan Mitchell in the starting lineup. Yeah, I'm pretty nervous trying to match these five-man units up. Just the starters, like I feel like, you know, Kyle Anderson probably going to guard Bojan. And then, uh, like, Jaron, you basically have to hide him on Royce O'Neal because Jaron's defense has not been there either. And that's another thing that the Grizzlies fans are hoping for, a magical return to form for Jaron Jackson Jr. There was that one almost game-changing play where Jaron had that block and that trailing three. That's, like, the first we've seen that all year. And so I think Grizzlies fans keep hoping the longer this season goes that maybe we'll see that Jaron Jackson Jr., the 40% three-point shooter, the guy who scored 17 points per game last year. But if he's guarding Royce O'Neal and then you have Dylan Brooks guarding Donovan Mitchell, the jaw on Mike makes me nervous. And then when you go to that second unit, if it's Ingles running around there with Clarkson, and then if Gobert gets back in there and the Grizzlies are playing small ball with like Grayson Allen and Desmond Bain and they're cycling Jaron back in at the five, I'm going to be so horrified because i think that's just a that's the that is how the jazz blow this one open i think yeah and i think another thing is is like you're not going to have another shooting game uh from the bench unit like what you got out of george niang and jordan clarkson in game one especially when you have joe ingles running things you know i said in in our our recap that like one of the big problems 
in game one was Derek Favors was the Utah Jazz's best player. And yeah, like, yeah, sure. you're not going to win a ton of games if your backup center is your best player. And I just don't see that happening. I think that Clarkson's going to be extra motivated to come out and kind of, you know, defend his six man of the year title. When you have the pick and roll going on with Joe and Derek Favors, that generates open looks. George Niang is a 40% three-point shooter. I just, I don't think you're going to have a repeat performance. Also, Bain threw down the gauntlet on you. Yes. So he needs to he needs to respond. I guess I can wrap up. My, my last question for you guys is this: Why did the crowd boo Grayson Allen? I think like any <laughs> any dude that leaves Utah, I guess he got just, traded away. Yeah, I you know. guys got Mike Conley for him. I don't I don't think that it matters. I I think there's a lot of people that either don't know what's going on or there and then there's another like faction of people that are just like you left and we don't care yeah. under what circumstances <laughs> it was. Um, we have an anti Ted Cruz coalition among us jazz that's, fans. That's fair. That's not what I've heard, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're I'm we're pushing for it. All right. There are okay. dozens of us. Dozens. <laughs> exactly. Well, Greg and Sarah, thanks for thanks so much for uh, helping me uh, preview that game. And if I guess if any Grizzlies fans want more jazz coverage, go check out the Unsalvageable podcast. Keith, I have one question for you, real quick. Yes. Game two prediction. Yeah, I think the Grizzlies lose by eight. That's uh, I'm gonna I'm still feeling the cover. Uh, I, I I can definitely envision the 25 point blowout for the Grizzlies because of the things, because I think they are going to keep playing small ball on the second unit. I think they're going to keep playing these like line shifts where they put on four bench players at the same time. And sometimes all five bench guys at the same time. I'm worried that the Grizzlies are going to kind of, I don't know, you get down a little bit. And if Dylan Brooks tries to take it over and he doesn't have it going on and then the jazz end up taking care of business on the home court, I could see it uh, being blown out, but I'll anticipate a, uh, you know, we cut it to five with like two minutes left, but maybe never get any closer or something like that. Love that we got a <laughs> prediction with a point spread. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm locked into great teams cover. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I'm, I don't think we're going to get the 25 point blowout. I also don't think we're going to get the, uh, the eight point semi tight game. So I'm going to meet in the middle, okay. you know, as, as me being the conservative moderate that I am. Right. <laughs> I'm going to say something around, I don't know, like the, the 12 to 16 point mark. I think the jazz go, go up big, especially, you know, they'll, they'll have their, their patented third quarter run. I also think Quinn Snyder probably just gave the entire team a uh, sneak preview, a little look of his uh, Patrick Bateman closet <laughs> that he inevitably has in his house. And he says, if you want to join, I don't know, shoot 25% and commit 14 turnovers again, you know, mess around and find out. Actually, you know, I'm a little bit tempered on what my prediction is because I counted the Grizzlies out so much. And I don't know why I did. I watched them play San Antonio. I watched them play the Warriors. I was incredibly impressed by everything they did. I think that they're going to be ready for that second punch. And like we talked about before the possibility of them being tired, having not been home for maybe over a week and coming in and playing at altitude, these guys, they're kids, they're kids. They actually, they you can't tire out a 22 year old professional athlete. And so I think that they're going to come in ready for a second punch. And I think this is going to be a really competitive game. It might go down to the wire, but I'm going to pick the jazz. 
Yeah, this I mean, this is the this is, you know, their longest time off right now. The Grizzlies exactly. since they've had basically since the, the All-Star game. This is a, a massive space in between games. It's pretty funny because this series is scheduled like it's going to be a short series. The NBA spread it out. So it's like, all right, these three, six matchups, four, five, they're going to be every couple of games. But they're going to be some teams who've already played their fourth game before Jazz Grizzlies game three tips right. uh, on Saturday night. Right. And I, I do think the overall matchup, you know, the firepower favors the Jazz. Obviously, the shooting, the math problem of the Jazz averaging six more three-pointers per game than the Grizzlies favors the Jazz. But the one thing, the matchup that works for the Grizzlies is the Jazz don't have anyone who is great at shutting down jaws penetration. And that's been, that's been a matchup thing for the Grizzlies. If, if a team has a very strong perimeter defender, point of attack defender that keeps jaw from getting into the paint, then the Grizzlies have literally nothing else. Then like they get totally shut down. So while the jazz and the more talented team, they're the better roster up and down easily. The fact that John Morant probably no matter what is going to be able to get into the paint, I think maybe makes this interesting and it won't be four more blowouts uh, to make the gentleman sweep in five. At least that's what I'm hoping. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> we, we all tell ourselves what we need to <laughs> that's right well Greg and Sarah I enjoyed it and I look forward to the next time again huge huge thanks to Keith for doing that with us and you guys should check out his podcasts and follow him Greg is there anything else that we didn't touch on our conversation with Keith that you want to that you want to get into right now before we wrap this one up. You know, we talked about Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles and how they were a revelation throughout the regular season. It's not the regular season anymore. It's not. <laughs> you know, that's over and done with. Uh, game one was an aberration, a toilet aberration. <laughs> poop. <laughs> it was poop. It's it's gut check time. You can't go. You can't go down 0-2, especially when you have home court advantage. You got to get this one, boys, and you know exactly what you have to do. I mean, I don't. I don't think I really even need to reiterate it. You know, Quinn Snyder is a coach of the year candidate for a reason. It's time to show and prove. Yeah, I'm super stoked for game two. I think it's going to be a very fun game. I do not expect a similar result. Let's go. Yeah. If George Niang and Jordan Clarkson haven't been in the gym, just putting up a, an absurd amount of shots over the last couple of days, uh, I'd be surprised and shocked. They have to make the shots. You can't shoot 25% again. You can't do it against this Grizzlies team. Uh, you've got to execute better. Everything has to be executed better. This is the playoffs. Tighten it up. There is one thing, though, that I do want to touch on that we talked about with Keith, and that is the donovan mitchell hero ball which he has been prone to do earlier in his career uh but i think one of the big things that has he's shown a ton of growth this season is trusting his teammates he has been a, a fabulous creator and playmaker and he has so many more options than he did early in his career he's not passing the ball off to jay crowder and ricky rubio and royce o'neill like He's got Mike Conley and Niang and Boyan Bogdanovich and a, a plethora of fabulous shooters. I would be really shocked. I think he's going to be motivated. I think he's going to want to take it to the Grizzlies. But I don't think we're going to get 36 shots, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I completely agree. I, 
I mean, I think it's possible, like I said, in the conversation with Keith, that he does come out and kind of want to, you know, go at Dylan Brooks and own that matchup, but he can own that matchup by playing within the offense. I think that's how you own the matchup the best. And it would be the best slap in the face to the Grizzlies to say, you know, I'm going to come out here and I'm going to win the game in the way that you don't expect me to win the game. Like I would much rather have a 17, four and four Donovan Mitchell game with, I don't know, one or two turnovers and good defense than a, I don't know, six for 28 shooting nights. Right. Exactly. And I think, I think it's, it's much more likely we get the former than the latter. There is one other thing I'd like to touch on before we finish up. I was told that Vivint Arena was going to be insane. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to say bad things. Is this a call out? This is a call out. I am speaking directly to the people who are going to be in the building on Wednesday night. You have to do better. Now, listen, it was loud. It was fun. The playoff atmosphere was there. I'm not saying it wasn't loud, but you have to be just with the team at every moment at every rebound, at every stop, at every deflection, at every point scored, you have to have that intensity because one of the biggest problems I had with the jazz in game one was that their intensity level was not where it needed to be. And the crowd doesn't always play a factor in that, but if you've got the crowd screaming at you at on every possession and they're with you at every moment, be smart basketball fans and be there with this team because they need you to be there for them. And, you know, like I've said before, many times, I have no rooting interest in this. If the jazz lose, that does not cause me pain, but all of those people in those, in that building, you and all your sweet boys, it will cause them pain. And so I would, I just want the people to be louder. It could have been better. So prove me wrong and make me, make me sound like an asshole. I don't, I don't really have much of a retort. Be better. <laughs> be better. We need to be better on all levels. I'm going to be better on this podcast. That is my vow to everyone. <laughs> I can't get any better. Sorry. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Well, I hope that you guys all enjoyed Greg uh, gushing over Jordan Clarkson. I guess I did some too. I love you so much. <laughs> he, he really loves Jordan. If you're listening, Greg loves you. <laughs> Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation with Keith Parrish. Again, thank you to him for having us on his podcast and doing sort of a crossover thing. And stay tuned. Again, we'll have recap episodes after every playoff game, plus your regular Wednesday episode. Download, rate, review, subscribe, please. It really does help us if you do those things. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Unsalvageable. Bye.